helping business leaders grow themselves, their team, and their profits. This is the Entree Leadership Podcast. Now, here is your host, Ken Coleman. We are broadcasting from the Music City, and this is the podcast of leaders, by leaders, for leaders. Thank you so much for joining the conversation. We continue with our Entree Leadership Defined Focus, episode 145, our last episode. Obviously, had Dave teaching on Entree Leadership Defined. So much of this entire tribe, this entire conversation on the Entree Leadership Podcast is focused around this phrase that Dave created to describe the way that he ran the business. And we have passed it down. And we felt like it would be a really fun and affirming and encouraging and enlightening conversation if we took Daniel Tardy, who was the vice president of Entree Leadership, to lunch. And we brought some mics. So Eric, the producer, was up for it. Got Ben, the sound engineer. These guys are very talented. And uh, went to a local restaurant and just recorded the conversation as I learned from Daniel about how he's been mentored, how he has risen to leadership, and how Entree Leadership plays out every day within the brand called Entree Leadership. And we're going to give away 20 copies of the Entree Leadership book to kind of celebrate you, the Entree Leader. By the way, Eric and I have been working on this with our amazing team the book giveaways are coming back. That's all I can say. So we're going to start with this episode. I'll tell you more details about that a little bit later. And then we go back to Main Street. We are doing more and more interviews with Main Street entrepreneurs, entree leaders like you. Megan Huffman, who runs a daycare center, just became debt-free. You're going to love this. In fact, I'll tease this. It is our very first business debt-free scream on the Entree Leadership Podcast. A little commercial on that. We also have some tools for you that are absolutely free. The Entree Leadership team has this month's tool, the Entree Leadership Guide to Running a Debt-Free Business. And Infusionsoft has a free sales team hiring guide. And you'll actually hear from Chad Kirby as he explains what is actually in this tool. So that's everything that's coming to you. Let's get right to it. This is fun. And, And let me say this, just as maybe to add some value. What you're going to hear is a conversation that Daniel Tardy and I had over lunch. But I think, you know, we have lunches all the time to have lunch meetings, but try to have as many lunches as possible where you actually just go learn from somebody else. I think the conversation is more stimulating. It's a lot more relaxing and people will open up to you over a plate of food. So this was really fun. Hope you enjoy it. This is my conversation with Daniel Tardy. So how many years have you been here now? I can't keep count. Is it 11? 12 10? years. 12 years. How old were you? Seven. Yeah, <laughs> seven years old. Honestly, dude, you're still in your 30s, so you were yeah. really young. No, I was 21 when I started. Are you serious? Green. We wasn't straight out of college, was it? No, I dropped out of college. I mean, that's part of the story. Is You dropped out of college. Mm-hmm. Can I tell you something? I dropped out. We yes. are two college dropouts. I knew I liked you. I would guess that your dropout story is not what people are thinking. Mine wasn't. Mine was intentional. I'm assuming yours was as well. I got married young, so that was part of it. I grew up in an entrepreneur's household, so I was selling door-to-door newspaper sales in high school, making a killing. Door-to-door newspaper? You mean just for the the local paper? For the Lubbock Avalanche Journal. This is back when people actually got physical newspapers delivered to their doorstep. Give me the pitch. All right. So here was, it was a little sneaky because I would lead in (laughs) with a, hey, I'm with the Lubbock Avalanche Journal. I'm just checking on our customer service in this area. So I learned that if I just started out assuming that they get the paper, it was almost just like this thing of like, why wouldn't you get the paper? And so a lot of them would be like, oh yeah, it's fine. You know, And and I didn't know if they got the paper or not. That was part of the deal. 
if they said, yeah, it's fine, and then phew, I'm out of there right. looking for somebody that doesn't get the paper. Yeah. But if they didn't get it, they would go, oh, actually, we don't get the newspaper. I'm like, oh, well, I, we can get you going. In fact, let me just show you. I, I got a few little brochures on it and everything, and I would kind of like come in as if I wasn't actually a sales guy just to you know, disarm them a little bit. And I would say, hey, here's the thing. Even if you don't read the newspaper, it's about the coupons. You ever buy groceries? And they're like, well, yeah. And so I would flip to this page that had kind of the coupons. And I said, look, if you just $5 a week, you know, save some money on your groceries, that's 20 bucks a month. Newspaper is going to cost you eight bucks a month and get you going right away. I had this dollar bill laminated. I still have it. And I would pull out this dollar bill and I would set it on their front step before I knocked on the door. And I would point down and say, hey, if that dollar bill was on your front step every morning, would you bend down and pick it up? And of course, people are like, well, yeah. I said, well, it's really not any different than newspaper being on your front step because all these coupons in here are stuff that you're already buying these groceries and you're gonna save money on it. Why not just get it for the coupons and then everything else is a bonus like sports and news and, cause everybody would be like, oh yeah, we don't really read the news. And so I realized real quick, I was selling coupons, it happened to come with a newspaper. You were Indeed, selling make... savings. Yeah, selling savings. That's brilliant for a kid. Well, I already knew I could sell because my granddad taught me that when I was a kid. My dad taught me, you know, growing up, I was just an entrepreneur household. That's just how it was. And so I was like, I'll sell newspapers. What's the rip? So in four hours, I would get like it's 200 bucks before dinner, you know, for a high school kid versus my friends going to work at Sonic. That's or, big money. Oh, it's, yeah. Yeah. And so I was dating Emily in high school. We got married at 19 and 20. I'm in school at Texas Tech, and I'm just trying to figure out what do I want to do with life. You know, I'm in business school, but it didn't really connect. And I started figuring out that I was already making more money than a lot of my professors, and I was just going, "This is this doesn't work. I don't get it. I want to learn how to make money." You know, and at the time, that's all I really could think about. Yeah, I wanted a lot more to it. Twenty-one, that. yeah. But I thought I just want to get rich. I want to make money. How's that work? So how do you jump so, from there to finding Dave and? interviewing with Dave's team? Through kind of a friend of a friend, we, we came and visited Nashville, knew somebody that was here, and we loaded everything we had on the back of a 15-foot flatbed trailer. We didn't have anything. We were right. young, broke, stupid, and uh, we drove out here. I didn't even have a, a vehicle that could pull that trailer. Uh, there was a guy from church who had a truck, and he's like, I'll drive your stuff out there for you. And uh, I get out here, Emily was still at home tying up some loose ends. And I load all this stuff into this little storage unit and I crash it on the floor at my buddy's house. And I remember that night just thinking, cause all day I was excited. I'm like, this is gonna be awesome, adventure. You know, Emily's gonna be out here. We're just gonna be living the dream. And that night I basically had a panic attack. I was like, what am I doing? This is crazy. I don't know, what, I don't, I don't know anybody. We don't have a job, we don't have money. It, we got side jobs and we we're just doing anything we could just to scratch it out. I was actually delivering sandwiches for Jason's Deli right here in Cold Springs. Wow. And running around, you know, and I was listening to Dave on the radio and I thought, this guy's legit. And so we had kind of haphazardly been living the principles, but we didn't know there was a plan. You know, we knew to stay away from debt, but we would have ended up there because we were, that's just the natural course of you start getting frustrated with your beat up car and your, you know, crappy furniture and you go, well, let's finance some. I mean, we, we were probably gonna in two years be just normal like everybody else but by God's grace we found Dave and the plan and everything and just never did go into debt and um, it was Joe Levitt met Joe at church and he worked for Dave at the time still does and he said 
hey, you ought to, you ought to come on board over here. So he kind of got, you know, got that going, and it's twelve years ago. Entree leadership? Did you come into entree leadership? No, no, no. This was, entree leadership didn't exist really. It was, it was something Dave was teaching internally. I started in our ELP program, so Jack Galloway hired me, and it was just an entry level sales job. It's funny because on the website it said, I remember specifically the posting said, ELP CPA advisor, preferably. 20 years experience in sales, you've been a CPA in practice for at least 10 years, blah, 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 blah. And I'm dumb, green, college dropout, right? I don't know what a CPA does. I, I really didn't. Like, But I, I got in there because Joe made the connection with Jack, and I just said, dude, here's the thing. I don't know what a CPA is, but if you need me to talk to CPAs, figure out what that means and how to help them, I can sell. And here's my resume, and it's not that awesome because it's just got a bunch of odds and ends kind of jobs. I don't have a degree. I went to Target right across the way here, and I got a, a truck because I'd heard Jack's kind of a you know country truck driving kind of guy. And I got a truck like a four by four, like a micro machine or something, you know, like little Hot Wheels. And I gave it to Jack, and I said, I don't know how many other resumes you've got in your desk right now for this position. But if you're looking at Ferraris and Beamers and Audis and, and that's what you need, because that's what the candidate that you're looking for, that's great, but it's not me. But I'm from West Texas and out there, those cars aren't worth anything in a cotton field where you gotta go out and do real work. You gotta have a truck. And if you want someone that's horsepower and raw and rough and ready, that's what you got. And I gave him that truck and he, he laughed and I was like, this is so cheesy, but I was, I was trying to figure out how to stand out. Yeah, sure. Know? And um, so the story of the truck, he's still today, he's like, you remember that truck? Yeah, well you yeah. stood out. Yeah. That's a, that's a big principle. Yeah. But you gotta be careful, because I get stuff from you know applicants these days, they mail in weird things, and I'm like, oh no, this is so bad. This makes you look terrible. But I guess done in the right way, you know. Yeah, I you think gotta, that's the key distinction. Yeah. You didn't mail him something, yeah. you gave it to him face to face. Yeah. That's a big difference. So I mean, Jack it's still cheesy, me. but yeah, no, it's cheesy. But but hey, a little bit of cheese every once in a while, I applied you, correctly. You learn how to polish that stuff. I mean, when you're 20, just do anything, you know. All right, so here's what I'm interested to learn: 12 years under Dave, so you've seen so much transformation. You've really seen. Mm. You knew the card table story. Yeah, yeah. We weren't far from it. I mean, there's probably 55 people when it yeah. started. Now there's over so you knew about the story, yet you, you've been there long enough to really see what it went from pretty cool to explosive. Mm -hmm. So I think it's great context for what Entree Leadership really is. I mean, you were there when the term got created, when it was an internal term. Oh, that's good. Thank to you. be able to teach, this is the way we're going to do things. When did you and how did you move from straight sales guy to beginning to lead people? Hmm. Well, you know, I, some days I still don't know. <laughs> like, I just, I've just worked as hard as I could. Yeah, but there was the a point time. where it was like, um, all right, we're gonna put you in a situation where you're leading people. Well, it starts with results. And this is what I tell anybody who's kind of young and getting started and they say they're interested in leadership. You've gotta be, you know, the leader of the room in your area or at least the second best for it to even show up on the radar of, hey, here's somebody that has the street cred to start influencing beyond just their immediate job responsibility, but be able to get other, because it's like, if you got a sales team that's got 10 people and the number one guy 
you know, is, is bringing it all the time, you kind of want to go, how do we get everybody else to know what that guy knows? Maybe he can share that insight. And in some ways, even if he doesn't have the title of a leader, he's, he's leading just by activity and by results. So I was getting good results in sales and I was just, I was super passionate. It's like you were talking about energy earlier. I mean, I just, I was very passionate about the Entree Leadership material because my granddad started a business in 1956 in Lubbock. Literally scraped together a couple thousand dollars and got it going out of his garage. He and my grandma together and he would knock on doors and, you know, once he got an order, he'd go home, take off his suit, put on his work clothes, go install the, the equipment that he had and then go back home, put on a suit, give my grandma the paperwork. I mean, literally started from nothing. And today, you know, that business has afforded you know, me and all my cousins to have a shot at college. It's it's funded mission trips. It's currently employing, you know, dozens of families that are still there and their livelihood depends. So, like when you grow up in that kind of environment, anything that that helps a small business, like you just instantly latch on and go, this is something that's needed, because you see all the the challenges and and the fears and the ups and the downs and the you know, the times my dad had to go back to the office after dinner to fix whatever was going on. And you just start to realize like the, the small business owners out there, are, they're fighting hard and they're heroes and they're, they're trying to make their thing work because they believe in it. They believe in their customers. They believe in providing for their families. And you know, the perception on small business owners a lot of times is that they're, they're just capitalistic and they just want to make a lot of money and they don't, you know, and a lot of them, I mean, we've worked with enough of them to know that a lot of them make less than some of their employees do. You know, they just, they believe in what they're doing and they'll do anything for their team. And so I, I kind of had all that in my DNA and my spirit. And so when Dave was teaching Entree Leadership internally, it just really resonated with me. And so that passion, I think, is really what, more than anything, I just said, I want the ball. Like, if this is ever something this company's going to do more than just an internal training, like, I would love to have a shot at driving this ball across the goal line. Whatever that looks like, whether it's a live event or you know training. You know, this is interesting so. because that background gives us a great place to kind of see. It's easy to hear that the go-getter mindset of the small business owners resonates with Daniel. And just like anything you're passionate about, you don't want to keep it inside. It has to get out beyond the four walls and be shared. There's just an obvious need because people were showing up and asking if they could sit in the class who didn't work at Dave Ramsey. There was never like this clear mission statement of like, we've done all this market research and we believe there's an opportunity and there's, you know, there's a strategy to go in and take it down and figure it out. Like it was just super organic. Like people are going, we're starving for content and material like this. And, and I knew it was true because I'd been through all these, I mean, part of the reason I dropped out of college was I just couldn't connect with the headiness of the higher academic kind of business world, you know? I was more of a just roll up your sleeves and down in the trenches kind of guy, and I grew up in that kind of a household, and when I heard Dave teach an entree leadership, it was the first time that like my soul came alive and was going, this, this is rich. Like, I can turn this into something applicable tomorrow. Like, I can, I can take this and do something with it. Because it was empowering me to actually be a better team member you know, real time. It wasn't just, okay, that was inspirational, and then over time, maybe that makes me a little bit better. It was like, hands-on, here's how you do your goal setting. Here's how you do time management. Here's how you 
you know, communicate with other people based on their personality styles and have more effective conversations when you know what the personality style is and you know what your personality style is. And, like that kind of stuff I'd never heard of before. And then all these other entrepreneurs and business owners are coming in sitting in class while Dave's teaching it just to his team about how to be better team members and better leaders in our company. And so Dave's going, apparently people want this. So it was a little bit of a sidebar thing because we were just a money company at the time. It was all personal finance. But I saw it. I mean, I saw the vision. I knew the market was huge and I wanted to be a part of it. Started as a live event because we, we do live events good, but there wasn't a big strategy and here's how the event's going to drive this other area and here's how we're going to do coaching. I mean, it was all super just on the fly in the early days. Which I think is good for business owners to hear because they look at us and go, man, you guys just have all this stuff together and we don't even know what our strategy is. And the point is like, just start, just go, grind, get after it. You'll figure out the strategy, you know, you'll figure out the plan. What was the young Daniel Tardy leader like? Stupid, egotistical, dogmatic. I took everything that I perceived Dave to be and just tried to be Dave. And you're how old at this point? When you're really into the leadership role? I don't know, 26 maybe. Yeah, late when 20s. I kind of had a little team. Yeah. And you got this pretty strong leader that you're rubbing shoulders with, and you're trying to emulate. That's the biggest mistake I made. Is I saw other leaders who I respected, and I I tried to become them because I thought that's what leaders do. That's how they talk. That's how they act. And I think you have to take cues from other leaders. But if I could go back and tell the 26-year-old Daniel Tardy, hey, knowing what I know now, I would say, be yourself. Like, don't try to be something that you see someone else doing because that worked for them. Because it's just, it comes off as manufactured and people don't buy it and it's plastic and cheesy and hokey. If, if I knew that, I would have settled in sooner to just my own style of leadership and communicating the way that I communicate and not trying to say magic words that I heard Dave say in a staff meeting that got a reaction, but just, if I wouldn't say it, then don't say it, you know? And if I would say it, then say it, even if Dave doesn't say it. And just being confident enough and comfortable enough to go, I'm here because God's put me in this spot with my strengths and my weaknesses, and my style is gonna be unique. And so I think if a leader can do anything early, I would tell 20-somethings who are kind of getting into leadership or who wanna lead, it's find your own voice as soon as you can and take cues from other great leaders but don't try to emulate them so much that you become not yourself anymore you know what i mean absolutely the substance is what you want to try to emulate but you got to filter that style. through your own yeah. style yeah somebody asked me on a podcast the other day what do you do i think it was the art of charm yeah, yeah. he says tell me what you do in one sentence and i said i communicate every day to make people think and feel so that they can maximize their true potential Dude, I love that you have a succinct. That's my. So sentence. many leaders don't know how to answer a question succinctly like that about their what success looks like. Well, I had to develop that sentence. I worked on it. Well, it takes work, and I would tell any leader like, until you get that down cold, you're just gonna always feel like you're floating. Like I think you're that's never, right. You're always gonna feel like I you're think that's right. Go. I was down at uh, there's an event in Orlando, Vern Harnish, who wrote the Scaling yeah, Up. That we had yeah. a great podcast with him. He was quoting Warren Buffett, and it was something to the effect of like, every leader has to define their own scorecard for success. And when he said that, like, it just occurred to me, I don't have a scorecard. 
I don't know what success is as a leader. I mean, I know what Dave wants me to do, but how to do it and how to come in every day, like when you're trying to influence things upstream of the actual result, working with and through other people and you can't, like when you're in sales, it's pretty easy because you can go, I brought in this much money, I can point to it, it wouldn't be here if I wasn't here and it is here because I am here. But as you start to grow in leadership, you go, geez, man, what do I do? What do I do that really matters? Like all these people are kind of doing the work and you can have days where you just feel like you were just in a tornado all day long and you can lose your sanity if you didn't have a scorecard. Yeah, and I had, to, you, I had to put it together at that point. You have to be able to in the moments of life that are insane. And when you get uncertain for a moment, you've got to have something that you can go back to that is your rock of Gibraltar. Rock of Gibraltar? Rock of Gibraltar. What you is know, that? You never heard of the Rock of Gibraltar? It's one of the most famous land it sounds familiar. forms in all the world. The it's rock a thing? Of, rock, it's a real place, the Rock of Gibraltar. It's Where is it? Located in the British territory of Gibraltar. It's off the southwestern tip of Europe, specifically the Iberian Peninsula, for those of you who really want to look this up. There's a visual of it. Look at that gigantic, unbelievable structure that just comes out. And the point is, it's always there. So for me, when days where I don't think I'm mattering, I can go back to, well, wait a second, what did you do today to communicate to people or organizations to make them think and feel so that they can maximize their true potential? Love it. That's good. So you know my rock edge of Gibraltar? No, I want you to give me that sentence. I don't know if it's one sentence, but it's five things. That's great. It's not really success. It's like the behaviors that I think will result in success if I just do these things every day okay. intentionally. It's ask the right questions instead of having all the answers. It's listen for the best answers. So active listening, you know, if you're asking questions across your team, you're, you're listening for patterns, you're listening for what's not being said, you're listening for who's got a good insight or out of the box kind of way of looking at this that's it's the best answer. And it's almost never the first answer think about our biggest problems and opportunities. Man, that one's tough for an activator and a doer who likes to measure success by busyness and here's how many meetings I was in today and here's how many emails I answered. Like I just woke up one day and realized no one pays me to answer emails. That's not what I get paid for. I get paid to create results and to empower a team to be responsible for delivering those results to the marketplace yeah. and adding value to small businesses across the country. I don't get paid to answer emails. That's just a thing I do. And in a Western world, in a very like, you know, doer society, thinking gets undervalued quite a bit. And so sometimes, like, just pulling away with a yellow pad. Dave talks about he does this at his lake house a lot. He'll just go a couple days yellow pad and just be thinking and listening to, you know, positive inputs like podcasts or you know books and praying and kind of going all right. I gotta get up above all this and really think about our biggest problems, our biggest opportunities. So ask the right questions, listen for the best answers, think about our biggest problems and opportunities, communicate the vision. And I, I think every leader has to be the one communicating the vision because if it's coming from within the ranks, then no one totally buys it if it's not coming from the general. And then observe the impact of the, the plan and execution and go, did the vision and the activity of the team result in what we hoped it would and the right outcomes. If so, how do we do it more? If not, what do we need to change? And we go back with asking questions again, going, well, why didn't it do that? And it's, a, it's just a loop and you just, you know, every day, ask questions, listen, think, 
communicate the vision, and then observe and see how everybody's doing. You know, if I do those five things every day, I at least can leave the office at the end of the day going, I did all that, some things were up, some things were down, but I feel like I've made a contribution. And I think that's important that everybody feels like they made a contribution. And for leaders, it's hard because our job descriptions are just constantly wearing all these different hats and putting out fires, and it can just feel like survival and the urgency and you know the tyranny of, of kind of the grind. And so, I don't know what, I mean, I think you gotta find your own thing. As Daniel and I started to really tap into the difficulties of leading a team when you're in survival mode, the conversation parked for a while on a topic every small business leader needs to remember. Who you are and why you do what you do when things get tough. There are some days, and let's just be honest, I don't think we talk enough about leading in the tough times, whether it be personal, medical issues, yeah. team member issues that you had nothing to do with and lightning bolts come your way. You can lose times, you can lose weeks, months of productivity, right? But you don't have to lose your vision, you don't have to lose the mission, you don't have mm-hmm. to, you know, I mean, just life happens. You know what's powerful about that? The myth is that your team is gonna think, if our leader doesn't know what to do, we're not gonna follow him. But when a leader says out loud in front of the team, hey, I really don't know what to do here. You'd think they'd go, well, if you don't know what to do, we're not, we're not following you because you're clueless. But the truth is, people go, we can trust this guy to, to tell us, when he's saying he does know what to do, we can lean into it. Because when he doesn't know what to do, he's gonna say it out loud and say, Hey, what do you guys think? And you don't have to know what to do all the time to lead. You just have to lead. Yeah, I, I, you know what I mean? that's a great point. And parenting has taught me that point. Here's the reality. When a leader says, I don't know, but we're collectively, A, we're going to figure it out. Right. B, we'll survive. Mm-hmm. We'll continue forward. Guess what? All that does is connect with them, like you said, from an authenticity standpoint, they go, I trust. Mm-hmm. Here's why, they know when you don't know. Our kids generally know when we don't know. Your followers, your team, they know generally when you don't know. So the worst thing a leader can do is act like he knows or she knows. You may fool them, as Lincoln said, you can fool some of the people right. some of the time and not all the people all the time. I don't know if Lincoln actually said that, the guy gets attributed Sounds with more good. quotes. But boy, it's so whoever freeing, said though, it. Man. As a young leader, I thought, Okay, I gotta know everything now. And that pressure? It's unbearable. Oh gosh. Yeah. So you were telling us a little bit about the young Daniel Tardy. When did you begin to see real leadership growth? Because you've danced all around this, but I wanna hone in on this. Like, because leaders need to hear this. Yeah. Over time, you begin to, if you're self aware and you really wanna grow, you begin to get a clearer picture of who you really are and how you really should lead. I didn't really start growing as a leader. I mean, I had all these seeds kind of planted in my mind from mentors and things I'd read, thought I was a leader. But I didn't figure out, I haven't figured it out, I didn't begin to figure out leadership until I was really broken. And um, the season right after our, our oldest daughter was born, it was about seven years ago, and all this kind of culminated into, not a crash, but just, just this like overwhelming sense of helplessness and feeling like I was not in control, but really wanted to be in control of my emotions, of 
how I felt every day, and I just felt like I was losing it. And it just got my attention, and I think it was that season that really, it humbled me so much and made me realize that I really can't control anything. And it was out of that season that I started to appropriately frame what leadership really is about. And that's making wise decisions even when it's hard that serve the team and that result in the outcome of the, you know, that's gonna drive the mission forward. Whether it promotes your ego or not, you know? And so I think prior to that season, there's a lot of ego. It was, I wanna be a leader because I want people to see me as a leader. I wanna be a leader because it's typically something it's in the spotlight and there's all this buzz about it. And um, you see it in Dave's story too. I mean, when he crashed financially, that's when it got real. That's when he, he grew exponentially out of the season of pain. And you know, I think every great leader has a season they can point to where they go, this was one of the most painful seasons of my life, but I wouldn't change it because it got me to a place where I actually saw things as they are. And it, it busted my bubble enough that from that time forward, the rest of my life, it's not, it's not the same. It's about, it's about the team, it's about the mission, it's about doing whatever it takes and not approaching it from a kind of an egocentric, like I'm gonna build my own empire type of paradigm. Just to bring you the listener behind the scenes for a moment, I recall with Daniel my beginning on the podcast as I was trying to understand both heart and head. Daniel introduced an idea of someone, a mythical character he calls Entree Mike. Yeah, so it's silly because we, you know, who's Entre Mike? We just needed a person to represent the people that we're trying to serve in the marketplace because otherwise it was just a customer ID number in a, in a CRM database. And that's so dehumanizing, you know? And so Entre Mike is, it's a real person's name because it reminds us we're working with and serving and, and building things for real people that have fears and hopes and dreams and, and so it keeps the humanity at play but what I'm most excited about and where Entree Leadership is going is building a community of Entree Mics that come together around the same Entree Leadership values and we're seeing this through our coaching program for small business owners called All Access but it's not just community it's content and coaching and community all coming together in a way that any one of those things is good but it's like, you know, think about content, like a book that's had an impact on your life, right? But if you add that great content to an experience you've had with a great coach who you're able to process what you're getting from the content out of the book and actually talk through it with a coach and go, okay, I read the book, but here's my specific situation. What do you think? And that coach is speaking in, challenging you, calling you up, holding you accountable. And then you wrap that in this bow of community of other people like you with similar values who are in the trenches as well. To me, that's what Entree Leadership's all about. The vision is that we empower small business owners to grow themselves and their teams and their profits through ongoing access to great content, coaching, and community. And so for a long time, we had great events and people would come in and they would get good content, but then they kind of go back out on their own. And, and we were kicking ourselves when we would hear one of them threw in the towel and, and didn't make it because we're going, they had it. They had everything that it takes. They had a great product, they had a great service. They even came to our event. What would he miss? And we realized that what we were missing was 
a system to walk with people over time so that they stay plugged in, so that they're not fighting on their own, so they're not isolated, but they have access to this content coaching community day in and day out. And not only are they consuming it and they're a recipient of that, but they're able to be a part of that community that's feeding it and adding value to other entrepreneurs and other business owners. And until you're at a place where you can teach what works to other people that are like you or in similar situations, you know, I believe you don't fully understand it at the level that's possible. You know, that's really what mastery is, is you've learned it so well that you're actually able to turn around and mentor and guide and, and teach other people. So this community of entrepreneurs and business owners, it's just amazing to see them coming in and, and learning in areas where they need to learn, but then also bringing their strengths in and speaking life into their peers in areas where they are masters, where they have figured things out. And for us to be able to facilitate that conversation, and it's, it's magical and I'm, I'm excited. We're gonna have 20,000 members in our coaching program by the year 2020. And we have a thousand right now, and you know we got a lot of work to do to get to that twenty thousand mark. But we're going to get there because we're bringing people together who want to be a part of something. Who are saying my thing, just as a small business owner, is just a piece of this big puzzle called you know capitalism and free enterprise and this great American story. And to see these guys coming together and empowering each other is just it's fun. It's awesome to be a part of. All right, this is fun. Let's so do it, man. you're picking the bill up, right? Uh, yeah. Is this an official entree business? Yeah. Okay. Is that right? I guess. I feel like it should be a fringe benefit. It depends on if this makes it to air or not. That all depends on Eric, the producer, and you. I feel like I've done everything I can do. It'll be good. I feel like I've done all. It's not gonna work. Now you heard Daniel Tardy talk about all access. This is where content, coaching, and community all intersect within this amazing online group of leaders. It's called All Access. Now, again, we want you to dip your toe in with absolutely no obligation. And the way to do that is to go to entreleadership.com, enter your email address to join our newsletter. This is a great first step because once you join and subscribe to the newsletter, we'll let you know about all the free webinars, free articles, other great free resources. And it's a way for you to really get a sense of what All Access could do for you to help you grow yourself, your team, and your profits. Also, I mentioned the 20 books, Entree Leadership, that we're giving away for free. This is the number one New York Times bestselling book from Dave, and it's got 20 years of practical wisdom from the trenches, and it's free. We're going to give them away. Here's what you have to do. You go to this episode's post at EntreeLeadership.com. It's episode 146. You go to the post for this show, the link to win the book is there. You fill out a few questions, give us your email and a Twitter handle. We'll tweet the link out to you so you can get involved there and get submitted to win a free copy of Entree Leadership. So make sure you take us up on that free offer. Well, this is a lot of fun. I told you at the top of the podcast that we were doing our first ever business debt-free scream. And uh, this is fun. I want you to hang in for this. If you thought, well, I may fast forward through this, don't. This is a young woman who really defines entree leadership. The story is inspiring, but at the end, we had her on her laptop and Skyping in, and so she takes it out into another room with three, four, and five-year-olds from her daycare, and they help her do the debt-free screen. This is great. Listen to Megan Hoffman. Megan, great to have you on the line. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm super excited. Well, this is a great story. So excited to share it. So let me fast forward and get you rolling in here and let our folks know wh what you're doing because uh, in 2015, July, 
you came on as a director of a daycare center. You were working for an owner, and shortly after that, or maybe in the middle of all that, the owner went through some heavy-duty stuff, which caused some big financial problems. Describe that for us. The owner, she lost her husband in 2015 and shortly thereafter was diagnosed with cancer for like the third time in her lifetime, which I can't even wrap my head around. So she had to make a kind of a quick exit from the business in order to be able to take care of her health. And so she was looking for somebody that could kind of step in and really take over the business. Um, And so I was ready for a challenge at that point. Be careful what you pray for, because (laughs) I told the Lord, hey, I'm I'm ready to take on another big challenge in my career. And he sure sent me one. So you become the director and the owner is is not involved, still owns the business, but here you are and you're dealing with some big financial issues. Give us a snapshot of what you were dealing with now taking over as director. Well, it was really interesting how the whole thing came together. So before she would even technically interview me, she wanted me to know what I was walking into. So I appreciated that from her. But I think she almost was trying to a little bit scare me off. But um, I had spent years in social services before that, so I'm used to working my tail off. So... I walked in and my first couple of weeks time here, I spent begging utilities to please not shut us off. Um, In fact, I will never forget we had water day here over the summer. And that day I got the mail as the kids were playing outside on this big water slide. I got a water shut off notice from the city. Mm. So, of course, I was on the phone and and explaining the situation. And, and, you know, people were very um, sympathetic and really were very wonderful um, and trying to help and do everything in their power. So that was a huge blessing. But basically, it's just building the enrollment back up because when there was this time of you know no leadership then um, we lost a bunch of kids we lost teachers and things and so um, the school was definitely struggling when I came in and so we had a lot of work to do from day one for sure okay so back rent utilities credit cards a lot of debt Um, and you start taking this on what are some of the steps that you took to start paying this debt off Um, The playground outside was pretty rough looking. That was one of my first big challenges that I did. We did some fundraising. We sold chocolate bars, all kinds of things, um, in order to do a rehab of the playground. We spent an entire Saturday out there with a couple of volunteer parents, a couple of my staff volunteered, my family were out there. And so we just overhauled the playground. And that made a huge difference, I think, in the enrollment, because that was definitely a barrier to having new enrollments. Um, And just going classroom by classroom, talking to the teachers, asking, hey, what's been great about this place that we can try and bring back? And what do you think should change? Because I was really blessed into coming into having several staff that had been here multiple years and really cared about the place. So I think using them as a big asset was definitely something that I tapped into. Okay, so I'm hearing you you brought in new revenues. You got enrollment up, that brought in new revenues, but that wasn't solely how you beat the debt, correct? Honestly, that was a big part of it um, because bringing in income obviously is huge just to be able to function. There was a couple of, actually multiple times over the summer and into the fall where payday came and I held my own personal check just to be able to make sure that my teacher's checks weren't bouncing. So mainly the big thing that I really did was I hit the road on the marketing and trying to get our numbers up. This is a mountain of problems that you had to work through. And so uh, what I'm hearing is, is, is you really got to it. You hustled, you improved the uh, school and enrollment grew, revenues grow, and you went after the debt really, really hard. And at, this is the fun part of the story here, folks, because this is, this is really entree leadership coming to fruition. 
you tackle the debt, you get rid of the debt, and today, as we do this recording, is your first day as the owner. How did that come about? Well, I'll tell you, it wasn't my plan when I walked in the door. <laughs> um, but she basically told me one day, either, so are you going to take this or am I closing it down? And I had put way too much of my blood, sweat, and tears into this place to just let it fall. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I care about the teachers here, and they've all, you know, jumped on board with, you know, hey, let's really bring this place back to what it once was and what it can be again. And so I talked to my husband, and he said, all right, well, you know, I, I'll back you 100%. Let's do it. And so the last few months have been absolutely nuts <laughs> with trying to get all the different things in place, um, you know, negotiations between me and my landlord and between me and the former owner and things. But yeah, today is actually my first day in the chair owning the place, and it's also my 30th birthday. <laughs> oh, wow. Congratulations. Happy birthday. Thank you. Uh, what a momentous occasion, 30 years of age, and you are now the owner of a business that you helped rescue, that you led the charge to rescue. And I got to ask you, Megan, has it really sunk in yet that you own a business debt-free? Probably not. <laughs> A business, a business, by the way, that you know can work and has been working. I mean, the future is bright for you. Oh, yeah. I've gone from probably six employees to 15 to 16 employees now, wow. and I'm getting ready to have to hire again um, just to make sure that I'm staying within my regulations and ratios. Wow. Well, Megan, this is also exciting because this is the first time that we have ever done a debt-free scream on the Entree Leadership Podcast, a debt-free business. And so you were the first leader to do this. So first, thank you for doing this. And I'm told by Eric, the producer, that you have a special group of young people from the Little Rascals Christian Daycare Center that you're going to, what's going to happen right now? I think I know what's going to happen, but I want you to tell our listeners what you're about ready to do. Okay, well, right now I've been doing the interview in my office, closed door, away yeah. from the craziness. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, and so I've got my threes, fours, and fives out here in the commons. And so part of why I even contacted you guys was I, uh -huh. I saw this as a huge learning opportunity. Yeah. Any kind of cool teaching opportunity that we can come up with, I am totally on board. So screaming they can do. All right, Megan Huffman. The brand new owner of Little Rascals Christian Daycare Center paid off over $100,000 in about nine months. She's there with her three, four, and five-year-olds. Megan, let's hear a debt-free scream. All right, here we go, guys. Ready? One, two, three. We're debt-free! Yes, there it is. The Voices of Innocence. And the passion from the little ones, hard to uh, replicate that. Megan, that is so, so amazing. We're so proud of you, thrilled to hang out with you, and uh, please pass our appreciation on to your team and the little ones for uh, making this a special moment on the Entree Leadership Podcast. I definitely will. I am so glad that we were able to do this. And like I said, now I get to go have an awesome teaching moment with all my kids and talk about what the heck that just meant. <laughs> well, folks, this is the perfect, perfect, perfect resource to give you this month, especially when you heard that phone call with Megan Huffman, who is debt-free. Can you imagine the future that young lady has in front of her? And that guide this month is the Entree Leader's Guide to Running Debt-Free Businesses. The Entree Leader's Guide to Running a Debt-Free Business. You can actually do this. So it's a PDF download. It features case studies of how they became and how they run debt-free. So this is not a bunch of mumbo-jumbo. This is like an actual playbook. It's a PDF, very easy to get. couple ways to get it. First is you can text 
all one word, be debt free. Be debt free. Text that to 33444. 33444. Text the phrase be debt free and you can get the PDF. The other way to go is entreleadership.com slash podcast. Obviously, this episode 146 will have a link in there for you. You want to take us up on this because, again, can you imagine? I want you just for one moment to stop. You're listening to this podcast. Who knows what you're doing? But I want you for just one moment. If you're running a business, you're a leader in a business, how would it change the game if you were debt-free? If you had a huge emergency fund or just an adequate emergency fund, how would it change your decision-making? What could it be like? I think when you ask yourself that question, I think you pretty quickly realize that it's worth it. So take us up on this. The Entree Leader's Guide to Running a Debt-Free Business. Text the word "be debt free to 33444 or go to entreleadership.com slash podcast. Click on this episode 146 and we have a link there for you. We love our friends at Infusionsoft. They continue to give you great resources. Their entire mission, Eric the producer and I went out there, met the people, great people. Their entire mission is to help you, the small business leader, to help you win. And so they've got a great tool to help you with your sales team. This is huge. So I talked to Chad Kirby, who's in studio, and I said, Chad, explain to us what this resource is and how this will help people in such a vital area of their company. This is what he had to say. Chad, every organization, I don't care what you do, nonprofit, for-profit, you got to sell something. You're selling something. Finding good salespeople. It's so crucial. Not always easy. No, it's it's one of the greatest challenges that entrepreneurs face um, because they have to attract the right person to sell the product because everything they've worked for, everything they've built comes down in the selling of that product. And if it's not sold in the right way, Ken, then it can destroy everything, including their brand, including everything they've worked so hard to build. And so the question that the entrepreneurs have is, wait a second, then how do I get Mm -hmm. that right salesperson? Because I'm ready to take that next step and hire them. But what do I do to make sure I get the right one? And so what we've done is we've created an ebook that is a sales team hiring guide. And it walks you through what you need to do to make sure you get that right sales individual. And so it it, it has things, Ken, like seven things to look for in a quality resume, five questions to ask on a phone screening interview, um, five questions to ask references about those individuals. And these questions in this guide will take you through the process to make sure you get that ideal candidate. Our thanks to Chad Kirby. And so, folks, we want you to dive in on this resource. Go to infusionsoft.com slash sales guide. Infusionsoft.com slash sales guide. Or you can click the Infusionsoft link in this episode's show notes. Well, it's unbelievable. I'm looking at my calendar right here, Eric, and it's uh, the summit event is upon us. May 22 to 25 at the Dallas Omni Hotel. And it is going to be unbelievable. 43rd President of the United States. George W. Bush, joining Dave Ramsey, Seth Godin, Jim Collins, Dr. Henry Cloud, Pat Lynch, and Chris Hogan, and Christy Wright. EntreeLeadership.com slash summit to learn more about the event. It's going to be an absolute blast. Everything better in Texas. That's what they say. It's what Texas people say. So we'll see. It's going to be a great, great event. On behalf of our producer, Eric Anthony, and the entire Entree Leadership team, thank you so much for listening. We'll talk with you again very soon.